Some people level allegations against certain office bearers or make a complaint about other people who are not in any office by stating that they act in such and such manner or that they have committed a certain injustice or committed an act which is contrary to the Sharia. Therefore, immediate action should be taken against such an individual as they are bringing the Jamaat into disrepute. However, often the people making such accusations do not put their name on the complaint or if they do, they use a false name and address. It is evident that no action is taken for such complaints, nor is it possible to take any action. Then, after some time has elapsed, another anonymous complaint is received, stating that no action has been taken following my complaint. If nothing is done about this, then it will be a grave injustice. The ill habit of writing anonymous complaints is more prevalent among the people of India and Pakistan. In the rest of the world, there is rarely a complaint of this nature from the local populace. However, this ill custom is even prevalent amongst some of the Pakistanis who reside in other parts of the world and they write complaints without mentioning who they are. 
This is not a new practice. People who make accusations in such a manner have always existed over the ages. Even in this day and age, people write to me in this manner. These people existed in the time of Hazrat Muslimah during the reign of the third Khalifa as well as the fourth Khalifa and they would raise allegations without mentioning their names. On one occasion, Hazrat Muslimah delivered a whole sermon on an accusation of this kind and it proved to be comprehensive and adequate enough to silence them. Having benefited from it, I decided to say something on this topic. As for those who make accusations against others and do not mention their name, or they use a false name, firstly, I would say that they are either hypocrites or are people who lie. If they were courageous and truthful, they would not care for anything at all. <coughs> they pledge that they will be ever ready to sacrifice their life, wealth and honor. Yet, when it comes to their honor and reputation in the community circle, they hide their name so that their honor and reputation can remain intact. Thus, if an individual shows weakness from the outset, there is a greater likelihood that the rest of his affairs will also be false. God Almighty states in the Holy Quran that when you receive any news then investigate the matter. Every intelligent person is aware of the fact that when one is investigating a certain matter and when the information is received from a claimant themselves or through another means, action is not taken immediately and nor is it possible for this to happen. In fact, the investigation begins by first analyzing how the claimant is as an individual. An investigation will be first carried out to decipher whether the individual is free from all vices. Are they involved in any ill habits and whether they are firm in their faith? Lest it is uncovered that the claimant themselves are weak in faith, yet they level accusations against others that they are involved in such and such activities. Yes, 
It has often been witnessed that an office bearer only makes an atrocious and horrific allegation against another individual, whether they are an office bearer or not, when they see that their own personal interest will be compromised by the other person. Thus, prior to making any form of inquiry, it is important to analyze the individual making the accusation and whether he is a believer or a transgressor. If the person who has registered the complaint is unknown, then it is difficult to know which category they fall under. Indeed, if the person who has written a complaint has mentioned something which can cause damage to the interests of the Jamaat, then one should carry out an independent investigation. Similarly, if the person who has complained is evident and known, then as I mentioned earlier, firstly their character should be assessed and investigated. Also, the verity of his claims should then be investigated in order to know whether the claims they made were true or they were in fact lying. Hazrat Muslim states that the Quranic injunction on this matter is that God Almighty has made it clear in the Quran where he says, In ja'akum bin which means, if an unrighteous person brings you any news, ascertain the correctness of the report fully. Only after this should one carry out an investigation. Although on the one hand, those who make such accusations declare themselves to be guilty by remaining anonymous. On the other hand, they demand that their claims should be taken on face value and immediate action should be taken against the accused and they should be punished. Hazrat Muslim states, Fasik does not only mean an immoral person. Although there is no doubt that in the Arabic language an immoral person can be called a Fasik, however, according to lexicon, Fasik is an individual who is short-tempered and clashes over the smallest of matters. Fisk also means the least form of obedience. The individual who removes themselves from the boundaries of obedience is also a Fasik. In addition to this, someone who does not cooperate can also be labelled as a Fasik, someone who is quarrelsome as well as uncooperative. Another meaning of Fasik is an individual who finds the smallest faults in others and exaggerates it many-fold before disclosing it to others and by doing so they believe that the other individual should receive the severest of punishments based on their testimony, leaving no room for forgiveness. Someone who is short-tempered and easily irritable is also known as a fasik. 
whilst referring to an old friend and long-standing devout Ahmadi, Hazrat Muslim states, As far as his sincerity is concerned, there is no shadow of a doubt. But he has a habit of desiring the most extreme edicts for the smallest of matters. He states, He had an ill habit of declaring the smallest of matters as heretic. Should he stumble across even a trivial matter, he would not stop before branding the edict of kufr, i.e. disbelief. He writes, For example, if someone is in the sitting position of the Salat whilst reciting the Tashahud, i.e. the declaration of the oneness of God, and the Attayat, which is a short prayer recited in the sitting position, and his toes are not straight, as there is an injunction to keep them straight, in his view, that individual is nothing short of a disbeliever. Hazrat Muslim writes, I was in pain due to my condition of gout, and as a result I was unable to straighten the toes of my right foot. Although I would always do so before the condition, Hazrat Muslim continues by saying, If Hafiz Sahib were alive, the above mentioned was a Hafiz, then it is well possible that before the start of the evening, he would have also branded me a disbeliever. Thus, individuals such as these also exist. A person who would issue the edict of disbelief for not straightening the toes simply because it was contrary to the practice of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, which indicates a disbelief in the Sunnah, i.e. the practice of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. If one does not have faith in the Sunnah, then they do not believe in the Qur'an, which is tantamount to disbelief in God. Therefore, that person is a disbeliever. Nevertheless, Hazrat Muslim who has presented this as an example to all those who have an impulsive nature, despite being sincere. Thus, the one who conceals their name and is weak of faith, and on top of that, he brands others as disbelievers, is a fasik by all the definitions mentioned under the word. Thus, it should be made clear for all those individuals who make accusations anonymously that this action of theirs is contrary to the Quranic injunctions. because the Qur'an makes it clear to first investigate the nature of the person making the accusation if we begin to take action without any investigation as is hoped by those who make such accusations then instead of progressing the Jamaat would begin to decline and would fall victim to degeneration in such instance, there will be no investigation carried out by the Khalifa nor the administration of the Jamaat. The investigation will be based solely on whatever an individual says. This will not lead to progression, as everyone will rise and demand that verdicts should be pronounced according to their wishes. Hmm. 
Hazrat Muslim states, Even if you know that one making the complaint about someone is very careful, honest and sincere, it will still be essential to investigate into the matter. As I mentioned earlier, despite being aware that the complainant is truthful, genuine and pious and does not normally make a mistake, the matter still has to be examined and the person making the complaint will also be scrutinized. Nobody can say that just because they have made a claim, everything should run exactly in line with that and a decision made accordingly. Hazrat Muslim states, On one occasion when the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, was leading the prayers, he made an error when reciting a portion of the Holy Quran. Hazrat Ali was amongst the congregation and he uttered some words in correction. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, was displeased by this and questioned him, saying, Who told you to utter those words? Hazrat Muslim said, One inference we can take from this displeasure is that it meant that Hazrat Ali had more important responsibilities assigned to him, and thus he should leave small matters like this to Qadis, i.e. those who recite the Qur'an. Another possible meaning of this is that this task should be left to those members of the congregation who had learned the Holy Qur'an directly from the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. Regarding the one who wrote anonymously to him, Hazrat Muslim states, Perhaps this person making the complaint is a senior individual to whom I would have said to leave this matter to others and that instead he should focus on his actual task at hand. The one writing in the complaint did not disclose his name so that his rank and position would remain hidden to prevent him from being admonished. Secondly, Many of the complaints he made were citing faults of several office holders, Nazirs, i.e. executives and Lajna. The allegations were of very inappropriate nature and he would pinpoint that such and such person possesses such and such shortcomings. On the one hand, the complainant criticizes such people for acting contrary to the teachings of the Holy Quran and the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. Naturally, it is a major failing to act against the teachings of the Holy Quran and the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and hence the complaint highlights this significant blemish. If someone does not behave in a manner that contradicts the teachings of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and the Holy Quran, it is not an erroneous practice, but it is a fault if they do act contrary. Lekin, 
So, nonetheless, such people are on the one hand alleging that others act contrary to the teachings of the Holy Prophet and the Holy Quran. Yet, they themselves go against those very teachings. They contravene the stipulations of making complaints and providing evidence. In most cases, this is what complainants do. Such people who write to me also do not adhere to these prerequisites. The essence is to act upon the commandments of the Holy Quran and the practice of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. And the Holy Quran says that anything claimed openly should be supported with proof and should be investigated. When a person does not even write their name, then how can an investigation be carried out? This is clearly against the command of the Holy Quran. One making a complaint in this manner therefore contravenes the injunction of the Holy Quran. Always remember that following the teachings of the Holy Quran and acting on the practices of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, is true piety. Even if one may find something disagreeable out of their personal distaste or under societal influence, however, if that act is not against the teachings of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and the Holy Quran, then it is an appropriate deed and there is nothing wrong with it. Some people act strictly and harshly in certain matters due to their nature, customs and traditions. However, there is no value or worth in their approach even if they may say they act in the name of religion. Hazrat Muslim explains this with reference to the account of the Promised Messiah, peace be upon him. This has been related numerous times before in detail. However, it is now being cited in relation to this topic. Hazrat Muslim says, Once the Promised Messiah, peace be upon him, was walking on the platform of the train station with Hazrat Umul Mu'minin, the mother of the believers, i.e. the blessed wife of the Promised Messiah, peace be upon him. The interpretation of Parda was taken very strictly in those days. Certain people of a high rank would bring their women to the station in seated chairs, which was fully covered on both sides with sheets. They would be taken all the way to the train while sitting inside such seated chairs, and would then enter the train carriage directly from it. This is the parda their women would travel in, and once in the train carriage, the windows would be closed so nobody could glance at the women. Hazrat Muslim Aud states that this type of parda only causes suffering and was against the teachings of Islam. However, the Prophet Messiah, peace be upon him, followed the teachings of Islam. Hazrat Ummul Mu'mineen, the mother of the believers, i.e., the blessed wife of the Prophet Messiah, would wear her burqa and go out for a walk. Even on this day, Hazrat Umul Mu'mineen was wearing her burqa and the Prophet Messiah, peace be upon him, was walking with her along the platform. Hazrat Khriftul Masih I and Mulvi Abdul Karim Sahib were also present. Mulvi Abdul Karim Sahib was hasty 
and abrupt by nature and he thought that this was wrong. He did not have the courage to speak to the Prophet directly about this and so he approached Hazrat Khalif Tumasi the first. He said, there will be a clamour in tomorrow's newspapers and people will publish leaflets saying that the Prophet was out walking on the platform with his wife. So go and explain to him. Hazrat Khalif al-Masih I said, What is wrong with what he is doing? I cannot see anything wrong. If you feel something is wrong, then go and say yourself. Thus, Mulvi Abdul Kareem Sahib went to the Prophet Sahib, peace be upon him, who had walked to quite far off. When Mulvi Abdul Kareem Sahib returned, his head was stooped downwards. Hazrat Khalif the I said, I was keen to inquire as to the reply he received. Thus I inquired from Mulvi Sahib, what did the Prophet Sahib, peace be upon him, say? Mulvi Sahib said, when I said to him that what are you doing? And what will people say about it? The Prophet Messiah, peace be upon him, replied, Indeed, what will they say? All they will say is that Mirza Sahib was walking with his wife. Mulu Sahib returned, ashamed. Hazrat Umar Mumineen was observing Parda, and further, there was nothing objectionable for a husband and wife to walk together. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, would also walk outside with his wives. Once, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, had a race with Hazrat Aisha in public view. The first time they raced, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, was left behind in the race, and Hazrat Aisha won. After some time had lapsed, they raced for a second time. And this time the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, won the race, and Hazrat Aisha lost. The Holy Prophet said to Hazrat Aisha lovingly, This is in exchange for that one. In other words, now the score is settled. In short, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, did not consider going out with his wives as a forbidden thought. If Islam has given permission for something, it cannot be deemed wrong. Thus, anyone making a complaint against someone else infers that that person is acting contrary to the teachings of Islam. However, Hazrat Muslim says regarding the one who complained that he wrote in his letter that such and such person is lowly and also mentions personal and family grudges and criticisms against him. That person wrote that such and such person is wicked and malevolent and questions why Hazrul gave him a position of office. Some allegations are such that must be accompanied by witnesses as stipulated by the Sharia and they must also be eyewitnesses. In other words, the Sharia states that for certain acts, if there are four eyewitnesses, then they have a right to lodge a complaint, otherwise they have no such right. Sometimes people level allegations against others for engaging in an illicit relationship. If one is going to level such an allegation against a couple, then Islam makes it compulsory for the claimant to also produce four witnesses. Hazrat Muslim further states, It is rather strange that a person displays a great sense of honor for his faith 
and yet his own practice is against the teachings of the Holy Quran. Moreover, he levels such allegations against others which in fact have been forbidden in the Holy Quran. They have not only been forbidden but a punishment of 80 lashes is to be handed to the one who asserts wrongful allegations. In other words, he violates a clear injunction given by the Sharia and while he goes against the Holy Quran himself, he claims about others that they do not adhere to the teachings of the Holy Quran. Hazrat Muslim Maud further states, Look at the status of one who made the allegation. Firstly, he has not disclosed his name and then he has also failed to provide the essential evidence required. I am not above the laws of the Sharia and nor is the Promised Messiah, peace be upon him, and even the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was compelled to follow the laws of the Sharia. The Sharia mets out a punishment for the kind of allegations this individual has made. The Sharia has specified a proper procedure for testimony from witnesses and it is essential to follow this. However, this individual wants others to be punished for breaking a law of the Holy Quran. Yet, he does not want himself to be given any punishment. Hazrat Muslim states, I remember a very light-hearted incident from my childhood and enjoyed it greatly at the time and laugh even now when I recall it. I was studying in class 5 or 6 and one of our teachers had adopted a method where if a student answered the question within the allocated time, then that student would be awarded a higher position in class. We were all standing and the teacher asked a question. One of the students raised his hand and gave the answer, but another student then raised his hand and said to the teacher that the answer was in fact incorrect. The teacher told the previous student to drop down the order and told the other student to go above him. However, the student who was previously in a higher position and was made to move back down told the teacher that while the other student was pointing out his mistake, he pronounced the word incorrect inaccurately. Subsequently, the teacher reappointed the student back to his original position and moved the other student back down. Hazrat Muslim states, It is the same case for some of those who pose allegations and regardless of whether their allegation is true or not, the manner in which they oppose the allegation is unlawful and consequently warrants them for punishment instead. They then exclaim that the offender is not penalized and the one who has drawn the attention has been punished instead. But what can those who are charged with the duty of handing out punishments do? They are after all bound by the Sharia. If one desires that the law of God should be established, then one must also abide by that very law. It is wrong to desire for the law of God to be established and yet consider yourself to be exempt from it. Thus, I say to those who make allegations that, O Ayaz, recognize and remember your own status first. Those who make allegations without revealing their names, saying that such and such person has no status 
and also the evidence they put forward for their claim is simply that one belongs to a particular family and has very little status. Then such allegations bear no significance. And those leveling the allegations are in fact the ones who have no significance. We are to follow the commandments of God Almighty. He alone is our Lord and the Lord of mankind. He nourishes us and nurtures us. Therefore, when we are receiving everything from God Almighty, then we must only listen to Him and not those who level allegations. As I mentioned before, that these people who raise allegations want others to be punished according to the Sharia. Yet, they consider themselves to be exempt from the commandments of the Sharia and they become their own judges. So, when the matter is brought into the open and their identities are revealed, then they will also be punished according to the Sharia. There are certain matters where witnesses are required and if they are not present, then the claim carries no weight and in any case of this nature, the decision against the claimant is then made according to the Sharia and the Holy Quran. At times it is said that the person has taken a false oath and thereby saved himself. On one occasion, there was a dispute between two people and their case was brought before the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. The Holy Prophet stated that according to the commandment of Allah the Almighty, one of them must take an oath. However, the other replied and said that the other was a liar and can swear any given oath a hundred times. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, replied, I shall have to judge according to the commandment of God Almighty and if his pledge is false, then his matter lies with God Almighty and he shall then punish him. Thus, one should always bear in mind that a decision will not be made merely on account of the person who makes the allegation. After complaint has been made, the decision shall be made according to the teachings of Allah the Almighty. In a case where two witnesses are required, then it is important to produce two witnesses. And likewise, where four witnesses are required, then four witnesses would need to be present and the investigation as well as the decision will be based on that. Our success lies in following the commandments of Allah the Almighty in all our dealings and decisions. One should not make one's ego and personal preference as their basis and thereby compel the administration and also the Khalifa of the time to make decisions against a certain person. May Allah the Almighty also guide those who lodge such complaints. If they believe they are right, then they should openly make the complaint and present all the evidences. Their name should also be mentioned 
so that they too will be included in the allegation. Similarly, when people see that there is an actual violation in the Jamaat administration, then one should come to the forefront and complain about it, and one should contest everything related to it. May Allah the Almighty grant the administration of the Jamaat the ability and wisdom to keep every aspect of justice at the forefront when making decisions after being appointed by the Khalifa. And may they become those who make decisions in accordance with the practice of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and by following the commandments of Allah the Almighty. After offering the prayers, I will also lead the funeral prayers in absentia. The first funeral is of a martyr whose name is respected Sheikh Sajid Mahmood, son of Sheikh Majid Ahmed Sahib. He was 55 years old and lived in the area of Gulzar Hijri, which is a district of Karachi. On 27th of November 2016, opponents of Ahmadiyyat martyred him at Maghrib, i.e. dusk time, when he was sitting in his car outside his house. Surely to Allah we belong and to Him shall we return. According to the details, Sheikh Sajid Mahmood Sahib worked in supplying spare parts to flour mills. On the evening of the 27th of November 2016, after the Maghrib prayer, he went to buy groceries for his home from the market. While he was sitting in the car, an unknown motorcyclist shot him four times. Then, whilst driving off, he turned around and fired four times again and fled the scene. Due to the firing, one bullet struck Sajid Mahmood Sahib on the right side of his chest and it protruded through the left side after striking his rib. Another bullet struck him in the leg. Sajid Mahmood Sahib was immediately taken to the nearest hospital. From there, he was shifted to the Aga Khan hospital. However, he was not able to survive and he passed away before any treatment could be administered. Surely to Allah we belong and to him shall we return. Ahmadiyyat entered his family through his paternal great-grandfather, respected Sheikh Fazl Karim Sahib, who performed the bed the Pledge of Allegiance in 1920 at the hand of Hazrat Khalid Masih II, radiallahu anhu. The father of the deceased, Sheikh Majid Sahib, migrated from Kampur to Lahore after the creation of Pakistan, and in 1961 he settled in Karachi. The grandfather of the deceased, respected late Khwaja Muhammad Sharif Sahib, remained the president of Jamaat Ahmadiyya of Delegate in Lahore. The maternal great grandfather of the deceased, Hazrat Aladdin Sahib was a companion of the Prophet Messiah, peace be upon him. Similarly, the respected late Sayyid Muhammad Sadiq Bani Sahib of Calcutta was the paternal grandfather of the deceased Sheikh Sajid Mahmood Sahib's wife. The Honorable Martyr had completed his studies up to a BA. He spent five years in great difficulty. After that, he started a business of supplying spare parts to flour mills. Allah the Almighty blessed this business immensely and it became well established. 
پروڈکٹس کی سپلائی کا کاروبار شروع کیا جس میں اللہ تعالیٰ نے بہت برکت دی اور اسی کاروبار ہو گیا سن حارث محمود صاحب who is also a Naib Qaid Majlis, as well as the Vasiyat Secretary of Gulshan Iqbal Karachi, also joined his father's business after completing his ACCA. The Honorable Marta had countless qualities. Similarly, the daughter of the Marta, Sana Mubashra, is currently studying in Karachi. She also received a scholarship to travel to the United States for six months, where she did a short course and returned to Pakistan. The deceased had an incredible love for Khilafat and was deeply committed to it. He would constantly instruct his children to stay attached to Khilafat and the administration of the Jamaat. He was a person who would be at the forefront when it came to participating in financial contributions and he would instruct his son to do the same. He was always worried in regards to his financial contributions and he had a separate till in his shop in which he collected money for financial contributions on a regular basis. He was very simple and a man of honesty in matters of transactions. He would keep truthfulness at the forefront. He was compassionate. He would treat his siblings in a loving manner and he would never get upset at anyone. The deceased was a person of excellent and pure thoughts. He would deal kindly with his blood relations. The martyr had named both of his shops after his deceased father and his deceased father-in-law. He would treat his wife's relatives in such a kind manner that it was exemplary. He would meet friends and all the relatives with a clean heart. His nature was free from harboring any grudge or enmity. The attributes of the martyr and all the other qualities which I have mentioned are the summary of what different people have written about him. The mother of the martyr is currently very ill. It was difficult to inform her about the martyrdom of her son due to her illness. However, when she found out and saw the body, she spontaneously said that my son is a martyr, no one should cry. And she repeated this statement many times. The wife of the martyr bore the news of her husband's martyrdom with immense courage and resolution. She demonstrated high levels of patience. The martyr's son says that there was unusual sophistication in my father's temperament and his belief in God was immense. He would say again and again that God has granted me a lot of respect, so much respect that I cannot believe it myself. He was very punctual in worship and his relatives also say that he was very simple, tender-hearted and a humble in nature. The deceased had 11 siblings. All of them had families. The martyr would treat everyone with kind treatment and would take care of everyone. In the district of Sakkar, when the circumstances worsened for the Jamaat and martyrdoms occurred, the deceased would go there numerous times to perform duties for many days. His daughter says that after his demise, I saw in a dream that there is a very large garden where many spiritual people are gathered. Everyone is wearing bright and white clothes and my father is also there. 
He is of a very high status. Everyone is gathered around my father and they express joy. My respected father begins to walk in one direction and everyone follows him in the form of a caravan and everyone is happy to see him. The mother of the martyr is very weak as I have stated. She is not even able to walk. After the martyrdom she saw in a dream that the martyr says while addressing his mother that I am very happy here and I am very content. You should not worry because of me. Other than his mother, wife Mansura Yasmin Sahiba, son Sheikh Haris Mahmood and daughter Sana Mubashra, the deceased has left behind four brothers and six sisters. May Allah the Almighty exalt the status of the martyr and may he enable his progeny to follow in his footsteps. The next funeral is of respected Sheikh Abdul Qadir Sahib, the son of Sheikh Abdul Karim Sahib, who was a dervish of Qadian. He passed away on 26th of November 2016 at the age of 92 due to heart failure. Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi rajun. Surely to Allah we belong and to Him shall we return. Ahmadiyyat was introduced in his family through Hazrat Abdullah Sanuri Sahib, who was the companion of the Prophet Messiah. In November 1947, when the last caravan left for Pakistan from Qadian, he sat down with his ailing mother in a truck whilst providing support for her. When they reached the boundary of Qadian, his mother stopped the truck and dropped him off for the security of the headquarters in Qadian, and in this manner he was granted the honor of Darvishi. He had immense love for the institution of Khilafat and the administration of the Jamaat. He had complete trust and belief in Allah. He would accept every success and failure as the will of God. He would treat his wife, children and kindred in the best manner. Until his very old age, he would do all his chores with his own hands. He had the opportunity to serve various departments in the office of Sadr Anjuman Ahmadiyya. His son said that due to the upcoming Jalsa Salan and Qadian, the deceased had ordered some cement, etc., to paint the house. On the same night, he called his son and said that my time is nigh. I had collected 500 rupees from a certain person that has to be paid back. Similarly, he informed him about the other accounts as well. After a short while, he passed away. He has left behind three daughters and one son. His son Nasir Wahid Sahib is serving in Qadian. The third funeral is of Tanvir Ahmed Lon Sahib from Nasrabad, Kashmir. Who was serving in the police force. On November 25th, he passed away when some unknown people fired their rifles when he was on duty in the district of Kulagam. He also has the status of a martyr. In Allah wa inna Surely to Allah we belong and to Him shall we return. The martyr was punctual in his prayers and fasting, pious-hearted, kind towards the poor, sociable, a person of good morals. He was loyal and he was a person who was beneficial to others. He was very brave and was a person who would put his trust in Allah. 
He was always at the forefront in offering financial sacrifices. He would make financial donations regularly according to the percentage of income and would increase it regularly. He would comfort his younger siblings and help them and would always look out for their education and training. His neighbors say that he was a person who would offer the rights of being a neighbor in the true essence. Those from his department say that he was always very alert and lively while fulfilling the obligation of his assignment. He would never work negligently or deficiently. Other than his mother, he has left behind six brothers, his wife and three young children. One of his children is part of the Waqfinor scheme. May Allah the Almighty exalt the status of the deceased and may he always keep his children connected with the Jamaat and may he keep them steadfast on virtues and may he personally safeguard them. Alhamdulillah,